What's up, man? We're back. Am I on here? Can you hear me, Rashad? We got Rashad on the ones and twos. Did you re-up your hairdo? What do they call that? The Tony Valente look? You know, I went in the mirror. I looked at it for a second. I took the comb out. A little, hair, hey. <laughs> a little hairspray. Oh. Bensonhurst Tony. I did the Fonz. Remember the Fonz? That's right. When he used to look in the mirror and go, oh. Hey. Hey. <laughs> hey. No, it was hey. Hey. Yeah, he started that. Yeah. The coolest dude ever. The Chris Fonz. don't have to worry about any of this shit. No. Man. The coolest Italian dude ever was Jewish. How weird is that? That's right. right. The Fonz. Henry Winkler. Yeah. That's right. Great actor. Still doing it. He's on that yeah. show uh, right now with... Uh, that's such a great show. What show? Oh, uh, man. I'm not going to think of the name right now. Barry. Barry? Barry. He's great in that. I love that show, Barry. You watching that, Christopher? I don't know. What, what, is that a You're Netflix too busy. Christopher's or? busy. He's an intelligence guy. He doesn't have time for TV <laughs> shows. He's interrogating people. Keeping keep it at waist to a 32. It takes time. Yeah, man. He's out there, man, catching terrorists. <laughs> so uh, for part one, we talked. Uh, we covered your police career. The fact that he was ooh, the Marines. Marine Corps. Growing up in Long Island. And now um, you're in the intelligence division. And uh, they're calling you up right when you're having a glass of wine, ready to kiss your beautiful <laughs> wife. Or if it's not that, they got a, you're at a party, God forbid, and there's a helicopter landing in the out there in the backyard, right at the catering hall in the, yeah. on the lawn. Russo's, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, You know who did that one time? Steve, you know Steve Bonanno, the chief that died? Great fucking guy. Uh -huh. He was in aviation as a lieutenant. And he got involved in a chase. They were chasing some robbers. He landed the helicopter in a parking lot, chased uh -huh. the robbers into the store, and then he cuffed them up, and the patrol got there, and he t just took off, and his boss was like, did you land in a parking <laughs> lot? He was like, no, no. <laughs> not allowed to do that, apparently, in aviation. Uh, uh, <laughs> great guy, great. man, Steve. Yeah, so um, so tell us, where, where are you now with the, with the intelligence division? How, what time, how much time you got on the job when you're working there? Uh, so you're a sergeant at the Leeds sergeant, desk. I think I had 14 years on because I did five years um, in the intelligence division, so it was the last five years of my career I was in there. I didn't get promoted to, to sergeant until I had 13 years on the job. All right. So you did you? How much time did you actually do on the job? 20. I yeah. did 20. I did 20 years, <coughs> one month and one day. You should be in his show, 20 and out. <laughs> yeah, you should be in my show. You could be in my show too. That's what, that's what I did. I did 20 and out. Yeah. What's the name of my show? So the reason why you left uh, the NYPD was because you already had uh, an idea to go overseas. Well, it's no, actually, uh, that came as a byproduct of. Uh, of me moving to to Virginia and getting involved in a business that didn't work out, and now so you I'm left the NYPD to go into a business. Yeah, and and moved to uh, well, it was home improvement business. Yeah, home improvement. Um, I, I I like working with my hands. I'm pretty good at it. Construction, um, remodeling. Uh, Is that your second love? You know, that and cars, uh, restoring mm -hmm. and working on cars. You should have uh, went to ESU, man. You would have been perfect. Yeah. Right? Well, I'm, uh, there's not too much what I can do. What kind of cars do you like, the old uh, American Hot Rods? You know, I do like them. Uh, my son and I uh, restored a 1977 MGB. Wow. Uh, it took us five years, and we had a lot of fun doing it, and a lot of cursing, and a lot of, you know, scabbed up knuckles and things like that. But, wow. but fun. How'd you learn all of that shit? Well, I was always mechanically inclined, uh, and I worked on the helicopters, and I figured if I work, work on a helicopter, how difficult could it oh, be so to work on a car? so you were fixing the engines of helicopters. I was working on that and the electronics. I primarily, I was an aviation ordinance man, so I primarily worked on the weapon system wow. on a Cobra gunship. So um, there's a lot of electronics, a lot of schools that I actually had to go to, California, 
uh, Cherry Point, uh, Tennessee, and then finally you get fielded into the Marine Corps. And it's pretty much like another um, apprenticeship program for another year, really, mm-hmm. um, that you're out there doing repair work, troubleshooting, electronics, uh, uh, test meters and things like that. So that so, helped you in your civilian life all the time. It stuff. absolutely, it absolutely helped me. And I, but I, you know, it was one of those things where I actually liked it before I got there. Yeah. And then I now was like, oh, that's how you fix it. I'm that's so how- handy. I was proud of myself <laughs> last night. I cut the roast with an electric knife. That's about how handy I am. <laughs> I just had this vision of you at the party. At the cocktail hour, and then the helicopter, because you were an intel division, coming and landing in the, the at the party, and that they're waving at you, and you're like telling everybody goodbye, and then you tell the guy who's piloting the air, air out, and then you get in, and you... you <laughs> like he can fly it, too, yeah, right? Yeah. He's Harrison Ford. I can, I can fly anything, you know? Harrison Ford is a and then, it, and then, and then right in the beginning, starring Christopher Strom. Yeah. 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 So uh, tell us what led you to go. How did you get overseas over there to the Middle East? Uh, well, the business I got involved with didn't didn't last long. And um, How come? What happened uh, with that? You know, person I was involved with it was really more of a personality conflict than anything uh-huh. and and poor business management and uh, I like to think that I keep my word if I tell you I'm going to be somewhere or I'm going to complete a job at a certain period in time mm-hmm. uh, that I'm going to do that and we were taking on more work than we could possibly do and I was just like I'm out I can't I can't work like yeah. this part of that business is is kind of like leaving the guys working here start this job yeah. off yep. move them up over here you'll yep. be back don't worry they'll be back and yeah. they'll come back and for I, a month when just to keep starting all these yeah. different jobs to make sure that you have them I don't like that uh, I'm not like yeah. that I'm not built that way and you I'm got honor man way. you got code so you were uh, a marine. No, you are a Marine. Semper Fi. Semper Fi. Yeah. You got so, code. You got honor. That's what the business is like, though, right? You didn't like that part of it, right? I, I, don't, I don't like that part of the business. And, you know, to be honest with you, um, there's, when you find a contractor, uh, wherever, wherever it is that you live, the guy, if he's really good and he actually shows up when he's supposed to, you don't have to advertise. That guy's phone is ringing off the hook because they're like, uh, you know, I need this fixed and... And, and they know that this guy is going to complete the job on time. When you are somebody that doesn't do the right thing by people or you're in their home at 5 o'clock at night when the family's coming home, the kids are coming home from school, and dinner's being made, that's not a good thing. No. That's bad. People want you in and, in and out and unseen. They don't want you there. Is there any way to hope, make sure that the guys, when they come to start the job, that they're actually going to see it through to completion, that they're not going to disappear midway through the job? Is there any way to hold them to that? Well, in this particular business, it was me and one other guy. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I would I would show up to work on time. I didn't have an issue with that. You know, then he probably, the probably had to go finish his jobs or at least... <laughs> Right. Well, yeah, he had he had a lot of needs, and uh, so uh, his needs were not my needs, and they mm-hmm. weren't wasn't what I wanted to do. And I was so. worried about that. If I'm going to have some work done, major work in the house, are they going to start it and then disappear? How do I make sure that they stay there? Am I holding the money? You don't pay them. That's why. That's <laughs> how you make sure they come back. Well, you don't pay them on a Friday if you're a subcontractor because yeah. getting people. To but work a lot on of Monday, times they want a certain amount of money before they even start well, the job. And not only that, but everything is in phases. So if you right, have a permit right. and you're doing, you know, you're doing framing for roughing the wall, mm-hmm. you know, the that's got to be inspected. Then the plumbing's got to be inspected. Then the electrical has got to be inspected. Then if uh, there's insulation, that's got to be inspected. So it's all a coordination effect. You know, if the drywall guy shows up before the plumbing has been inspected, you can't, he can't drywall. 
Right. And now he's got a schedule too because he's a sub. You know, yeah. I mean, I don't do everything. And if you're doing the business in New York, you have to have a lot, enough money to make sure that everybody oh, everybody shows up on time. <laughs> yeah, you're the last to get paid, which I didn't have a problem. I don't. The money wasn't the issue. It's more the work ethic that was. The, I got. Right. I just couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't do it. Yeah, I, I'm not for that business either. Can't do it. So you got out of that business. Now what? Now you already <laughs> you moved to Virginia to do that. Business. Yeah. So yeah. now you're in Virginia. Uh, I'm unemployed. And, uh-huh. uh, you know, so, uh, you got a pension, you a pension like that's what Ed Mullen oh, yeah, said yeah, to yeah. me. Oh, you're unemployed now. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I'm very blessed. I have a, I have a pension. So, yeah. I'm, you know, thank God for that. But yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I have young kids. And, and you brought the kids to Virginia with you yeah. for this business. Yep. And um, so now I'm my wife is like, don't worry about it. It'll be all right. It's going to work out. And she's actually applying for jobs that she feels that, you know, would be applicable. And she applied for a bunch of jobs. And one of the jobs was through a company called uh, uh, L3 Communications, MPRI, Military Police Resources mm-hmm. International. And uh, I'm literally in the basement. It's actually in the book, and I'm painting, and I hate painting. Uh, but I'm actually pretty good at it. I don't need tape to cut, do the cut-ins and things like that. And um, the phone rings, and I'm like, do I want to even put my paintbrush down? I'm like, hey, I've just got a momentum, and I'm doing. I'm walking right. around, and I'm moving the ladder, and the drop cloths are down. I'm like, uh, let me just answer this phone, and... And that's how I ended up getting this particular job. And the guy describes it to me as being a law enforcement advisor uh, in Iraq, um, telling people how to apply basically uh, crime strategies uh, from a civilian standpoint for the Army. And I'm like, I'm in. I said, uh, you know, I just want to discuss it with my wife. It was a one-year commitment. I said, yeah, barring anything from that. He said, okay, I understand. And uh, that's how I ended up. That's tough Taking to leave that your family for a year, though. Uh, it was, I, I, I don't even know what kind of pain you could describe emotionally yeah. uh, when you have to say goodbye to your kids. Of course, my kids were very, very small. My son and daughter were very, very uh, young. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure I, your wife was happy, though. No. Yeah, she was. <laughs> actually, actually, I cried more than my wife. So, uh, Get yeah. rid of this guy for a year. <laughs> she was packing up your stuff. Visa. Just the money. Visa, American Express. <laughs> you know, so, uh, now, the money you get paid is tax-free, right? The money you get paid, they've changed the tax structure. I want to say that at the time when I was there, after you made, I want to say it was either 90000 or 120000 don't quote me on it, anything after that was tax-free. Okay. Uh, you still had to pay state tax, but they weren't taxing you for your federal. They weren't taxing you on your Social Security anymore. So right. anything beyond that... Um, I, but what it is now, oh, I don't like know. T- how, was it like two hundred thousand for the year? Uh, actually, I, my base pay was two hundred twenty-four thousand. They were supposed to upgrade. I would have done it, man. Well, and I'm a pussy <clears> too, man. <laughs> I would have had. I would have made it. You could have done comedy over in Iraq. I made man. twenty years in this job, skating, dodging. I could do it over there. Yeah, yeah the same thing. I was great yeah. at it. You could do your yeah. twenty and out skit in Baghdad. Yeah, man. <laughs> I would have made it for one year. Yeah. Would have sucked it up, man. <laughs> Nobody's great. I would have got hurt right away. Then went sick. Yeah, I tried to get three quarters. <laughs> that doesn't apply in the Baghdad. Listen, if there's a scam, if there's a scam there, I could pull it. Out there's a scam. It. New York City police know how to do it. <laughs> I want to sign right here. Two hundred thousand. I'll see you guys in a month. <laughs> I'll be back. So, uh, all right, man. So, wow, that's that's a bit of break, a break the news. But uh, you know what it is? I could understand you. You're probably having the Joneses because I mean. I, like you're there, and like even with that business, you still had that special set of, set of skills. And how you know, listen, your neighbor. How, how often can you go over your neighborhood, like sit and sit him down and put the cloak over his head, interrogate him? You know, before he gets bored, he knows the game. You know the game. 
<laughs> How was the waterboarding? <laughs> <laughs> Practice the no. So uh, what? Listen, we were talking about that before about the um, your rights as uh, what was it? What's the Freedom Act, right? Uh, Patriot, Patriot Act, Patriot, 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 Patriot Act, all those all the set of rules. So now uh, you, you're heading over there, right? Yeah. And you made the, what do you, do you actually have to sign contracts? Yeah, sign contracts. Uh, there was a three-month train-up before I went there. I was going to uh, ask you that. Do you have to go for some training? Yeah, uh, quite a bit, actually. Um, I went to... Uh, Are you getting paid when you're doing the training? Yeah, thank God. Because so again, then you I, only have to go for nine months. Well, no, because that the clock didn't start until actually I oh, got there. Okay. So, uh, Shit. yeah. So, um, but uh, I went to uh, uh, an explosive school in uh, Aberdeen, Maryland, which was fascinating. Uh, and involved how bombs were made, how bombs were triggered, how they were disguised, uh, infrared triggering, uh, pressure, uh, direct cellular phone, all different things. And the people that were teaching it were uh, really switched on. They were actually from Ireland. There was a group uh, that was teaching this course. Those yeah, fucking they IRA this members. Yeah. They well, yeah. Shit, man. And, uh, and <laughs> it was really... It's me own kind. Yeah. <laughs> and it was fascinating. But, you know, it was very... And what happened was I had missed the first couple of days. I forget what it was. Logistically, I couldn't be there. And so now I'm having to stay after class to, to, to get caught up because yeah. there's going to be a test at the end of this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's pass-fail. And, you know, I'm not going to be part of the team if I fail. And, you know, I'm not really a good test taker. I mean, I passed the science test. But, I mean, I really applied myself, and I mm-hmm. did okay. I didn't do great. And uh, But uh, so that was one part of the training. Then we went to Roswell, New Mexico. I'm there for over a month mm-hmm. of more training and uh, lane training and simulating uh, being shot in a vehicle, and they'd had a kill switch, and how do you overcome that and transition people from one vehicle to another. And But, I mean, technically on paper right now, before they send you over, the job that you signed up for was to teach the Iraqis about interrogation? No, no. I was there basically initially. The thought was I would be there as an advisor to uh, the brigade commander and how to fix this problem with the cells. In other words... The shooting war, by the time I got there, this is right when the surge started. Actually, the surge had started in 2007. I got there in February 2008. And um, the, the shooting war was over, and the soldiers were being killed by IEDs. Oh, yeah. And they were ha- that's where the majority, unfortunately, the, of the, the soldiers were being killed. So they were tr- having a problem because now nobody's shooting at them, which everybody, okay, you're shooting at me, I shoot you right, back, right. I kill you, I win, we go home. And that's, but now we're, we're, they're being killed by roadside bombs, and the insurgency... The way it's designed, it's designed very similar to a criminal organization. In other words, they have a hierarchy, they have administrative people, they have the actual bomb maker, the emplacer, the financier, the safe houses, they have all those things, and they want us to dismantle these cells. That's the thought behind this. Mm -hmm. Um, So I go to this uh, training before I even get to the Fort Hood in Aberdeen, and um, they pull me out and they pull two other guys out and they say, hey, listen... We have another assignment for you, and then they take me to Washington, D.C., and uh, they bring me into what's now called the SCIF, uh, and uh, they strip us down with, you know, cell phones and things like that, and they brief us on this project, and they're like, are you, are you guys in? Now, the guy that's briefing me is from Australia. The parent agency from the U.S. side is JIADO, the Joint Improvised Explosive Device Defeat Organization. Everybody loves an acronym, nobody more so than the U.S. government. <laughs> mm-hmm. And... Uh, I'm like, I'm in. So now I went from I'm going to be an advisor to now I'm going to actually do on-site breach and interrogation on-site. Well, what is it about that you and the other two guys? Why did they pick you guys to do it? I, I'd like to think that they probably read over our resumes and thought that 
uh, at least on, from my standpoint, I, w- I don't want to speak for the other two guys, that they thought that being from the NYPD that I was smart, little did they know, I was marginal at best. But um, <laughs> I was going to say, I thought, I thought you were going to say it was a 32-inch waist. No. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but did, oh, man, did you see him you in those learned, jeans? But what you learned as far as interview and interrogation I'm sure from the NYPD oh, came in yeah, handy absolutely. And, and doing what you did over there. Absolutely. Without, without, listen, I learned from some of the best people. Um, in fact, when we took the break, you know, uh, talking to uh, Bobby, yep. uh, you know, my mentors to this day, they're in the book and the acknowledgments. I make no bones about it. Uh, Tommy Dades, uh, I, who I talk to on a very regular basis, gifted, bar none subject matter expert on Italian organized crime, mm-hmm. uh, the real deal, the thing that people not only write books about, but you know, if you're lucky enough to be in his company, you might learn something. And I learned a lot from him. Sure. Uh, his partner, Jimmy Harkins, another phenomenal investigator, Italian organized crime. But the common denominator, and we were also talking about this, street cops. They came from the street. Right. They knew these people, and they knew how to operate, and they knew how to communicate. Mm-hmm. People think that it's, you know, the. I mean, because you, you guys are in the, in, the, in the acting realm. It's not this... You know, where is this? Where is the rabbit's foot? It's not like that. Well, it's, yeah. like, it's just like, you know, when you're interviewing or interrogating a, a murder suspect, he's not afraid of you. Of course so not. So no matter how much you yell at him, he's not going to be afraid. Right. So it has to be psychological. Exactly. You know, you can't be like, hey, motherfucker. The guy's going to be like, I just killed somebody. Why are you yelling at me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you exactly. know, that's not intimidating. Exactly. You know? Yep. So, um, but that is what would happen. And so, but, you know... Um, you can't teach that type of authentic, uh, authenticity. No, and well, and, here, and and you're exactly right because here's what's happened. Here's what. Uh, I'll, let me just back up a bit. The army's problem was not that they didn't know how to do it. It's just that they're expecting a 20 year old kid to have the same level of experience and sophistication and nuance of interrogating somebody at 20 years of age. I mean, like when you're a homicide uh, squad leader, uh, you, they didn't just say, uh, "Today, Bill, you're the homicide right, squad leader." Right. Like. That's insane. I because was in the detective bureau for 16 so, years. But that's the yeah. same. But but that insanity is what's being applied to the soldier, and they keep getting a bad result. And right. it's well, not the soldier's fault. You're sending a 20-year-old probably to, you know, even these guys, these clerics, I, I don't know how some, they all look old. Yeah. Because they got the beards and there's all right, the right, white right. hair. You're going to stop, you're going to send a 20-year-old kid to talk to this guy? Yeah. Give you oh. time of day. Well, and, 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 you know, so there's so many different paradigms involved. There's... Age is one. There's cultural. That's one. The religion is one. Um, you know, it's just it, it's it's an unattainable task that you're having these kids do, and the army was not doing a good job. And but they Chris, t- you know what? What I when I read your book, what I liked and I wondered was that you had to interrogate someone with an interpreter, which yeah. makes it so much harder because yeah. Yeah. you have to say, and then he's got to find what the language to repeat what you just right. said. And then right. when the guy answers, he's got to give it to you back right. in English. Right. That's tough. It's just real tough. So you didn't have to use the phone with the two, no. with the two receivers <laughs> no. on it? No. Do you remember and that? Non-enhanced interrogation, all, all you know, uh, verbal, and, verbal and logic, yeah, psychology, yeah. and a lot of it is... Body um, language. And b- body language, yeah. absolutely. And a lot of it is um, things that we, do, we would do every day, like you'd come in with the folder... You know, is there anything in the folder? There's nothing in the folder. Right, right. But he doesn't know that, and he doesn't know what you know. So that's the psychological event. Mm-hmm. And there is genuine fear. I mean, if you come into somebody's house at 3 o'clock in the morning, I don't care if you're Superman, if I shotgun the hinges off your door and grab your wife and children, and they're all, you know, screaming and carrying on, this guy's going to be terrified. I don't care who he right. is. Mm-hmm. 
And that, but you have to work quickly because like anything else, that affect of psych, uh, capture shock lasts maybe, depending on this person, five to 10 minutes. Right. And if you don't get who this guy is, the positive ID, is this the, the, the guy that's from the silhouette from your targeting package? If you don't get him within the first five minutes, you're done. And the military doesn't always understand what you're trying to do. Exactly. Because they have no concept no. of what you're No, and they've never done it. And that's the, right. and that's the, and that's the thing you, you, know, you have to understand. It's not their fault. They, they're doing the best they can, but they're, they're not learning from any, like we did. We had mentors. We right, had the, sure. we had the, the mm -hmm. FTOs, uh, the NSU sergeant that took you around in the but car. But also, Chris, to get good in the box, usually it takes five, six years. Oh, yeah. And yeah. then, you know. Well, you were a Marine. So imagine if you were, when you were a Marine at 20 years old, somebody would have said, go in there and interrogate Yeah. Him. He would have, you, that's that's exactly what it's it, like. You wouldn't have been able to do it. I you wouldn't now, be able to do it. So many years, you were a cop for twenty years. I would not be able to. Do, do you know it. what I'm saying? Uh, you no. had all this uh, uh, well, the year old, experience the already. The twenty-year-old marine would think that he was gonna scare the shit out of this guy. Exactly. We just said you can't scare a murderer or shake, you know? shake the truth out uh, of him. Right? It's not gonna happen. <laughs> it's psychological. That's how you're gonna it's, get it. Yeah, you know? and it's, and a lot of it is evidence manipulation. Yes. You know, the folder is one thing. You know, you're not really gonna go in there because you know you got to understand. Three o'clock in the morning, you know, the first first thing I needed was a bathroom. I needed the bathroom because that's the, the equivalent of my box, my interrogation room. So that's where I did probably 95% of my interrogations, if they were on-site, off-site, different situation. Would you but, have a stomach problem? Pardon me? The bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> I, did, I did that because it was a confined area. There was only one way in and one oh, way right. out, and they weren't getting out. They, believe me, they weren't getting out. And, uh, and sometimes... Um, as this is all going on, people are, are exploiting the house, looking for uh, physical things, and they would knock on the door. So these are interrogations, like you said, that are happening right after the, the initial shock. At the point of capture, right uh -huh. there, right there. So I have over 110 combat missions. The team collectively, which was an amazing team, um, we rounded up 91 tier one targets. So that's in the initial in interrogation. There's going to be other interrogations yes. to follow, but the initial one we're doing right there while we're using that moment where we shocked them. Yes. What kind of information that, that we're really trying to get there right now? You said the, to make sure that you got the ID, the person. Right, right. Well, just like in a lot of the cases that are based on electronic footprints, <clears throat> excuse me, you, you only have a silhouette. It's a nickname. You, mm -hmm. Maybe you have a voice print of this person. You don't really know who this person is, mm -hmm. but you know he's part of a cell, and I'm not going to get into the intricacies of what it is because some of it I don't even want to talk about. In fact, it's not in the book. But um, we would identify this person, and then we'd have to locate this person, mm -hmm. which is another part of the process. And then once we located the person, the main focus was positive ID. I need to find out where's Mark or where's Bill in right. this house. And... Just like what you would see in uh, in the movies, it's very true. There might be seven or eight people in this house, four of which are male, mm -hmm. uh, and three or four are female. So you're trying to figure out who was Mark or who was Bill in mm -hmm. this house, and the, and the, and you have to work through that process of elimination. So you would ask certain control questions that would help you do that. Uh, so going back to where the army was uh, before we got there. Uh, if they could not establish positive identification, they were leaving. They weren't going to take Mark or Bill. They were just going right. to leave him because there wasn't a, a degree or a level of certainty for the ground assault commander to say, this guy is Mark or this guy is Bill. Mm -hmm. And if you didn't satisfy that threshold, they were leaving. So 
Leaving the guy too behind. They're right? leaving the guy because they're not sure or they couldn't satisfy the person who's in charge. Is, is this the guy? Fast forward, now we come and we're doing, like again, because of level of experience, we're able to determine who this guy is with more certainty or almost positive, we call it positive identification. Once we would identify who this person was, going back to the Army, let's say they did identify who this person was. Mm-hmm. They were happy. We're taking this guy and we're leaving. Mission complete, take him back. Mm-hmm. But just like when we were all cops and we did search warrants, this guy starts to scream and says, hey, I can tell you where Rashid is, or I can tell you where Steve is, or I can tell you where all these other people are. And we're not in the, in the police world of, of legalese. We're in the war zone, and we don't need a search warrant. We just need a direction to go to, to get to this place. So we were talking about the initial shock entry. Right, right. You're coming with your team. Yeah. Um, well, what is that? How big is that group? Because uh, they're going in first, right? Well, the, here, here's the thing. Um, yes, uh, the conventional army's going in first. So we have identical uniforms, mm-hmm. uh, identical weaponry. Uh, the only difference between us and, and obviously the, the real army soldiers is our age. But because we're doing this night ops, that's really not a factor. Nobody really knows. The vehicles are the same that were transported in. Um, so we'd have an entry team, and one of the teams that we support in particular was this team called 122TST, which was run by a guy named uh, Sergeant Dave Peluso. And Dave was a, a huge fan of the Phoenix team. In other words, once we started doing missions together and the success rate just, like, went off the scale, um, he wouldn't go out without us on any, any missions. And hence, we were busy beyond belief. So we're out there. Their team would do the breaching because mm-hmm. if they had to shoot and kill somebody... They wanted the regular army to do it as opposed to contractors disguised as the army, which made sense from many, many perspectives. Once that was done, then we would make entry and we had our own canine unit. So we were self-sufficient. So we had organic drivers that drove us that were army, but the team itself was all civilian people and primarily special forces people from uh, 5th group, 10th group, and a couple other army groups that I'm not really familiar with in terms of uh, which special... But there was friction between... Yeah. You guys in the army, especially yeah. the bosses, right? Yeah, a lot of Which problems. Is, yeah, a lot of problems. Because they wanted you to do it their way, and they wanted... Yeah, yeah. They didn't understand policing. And they're very risk-adverse. Right. Um, that's like our bosses on the NYPD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, right? like, uh, are, we, are we sure about... Is we this going to make me look good yeah, or bad? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what is the, the upside-downside of right. this? Yeah. Um, but we would breach the house, the dogs would go in, and part of the team consisted of... You Can I stop you? You mentioned something about... Um, Having the army do the kills, right? Whenever possible. Well, whenever required. Yeah. Okay, required. but and that was because it was easier for the army to explain it. Yeah. They wanted the number yeah. of the kill, or that was important for them, or they just didn't want you to do it because because basically, even though you're deputized while you're there, kind right. of sort of right. Um, what kind of laws do you fall under if you had to use your firearm to kill somebody? They were going to attack you. We're under the same rules of uh, engagement that the army was, which is another story, which is in the book. Uh, the rules of engagement for one area of operation or a precinct to make it more simple. What's good in one operation theater is not necessarily the same in the other one. But the reason why they wanted the Army to do it was we were under a defensive posture. Uh, We had complete tactical control, but we were under operational control of the Army, meaning that we were subjugated to their their laws and their way of doing things. Uh, And that's a good thing because uh, to try and explain that at the president's daily briefing uh, is not easy to do. 
about who shot who and why is this person, who, by the way, is not in the Army but is with the, with the Army, shooting Iraqi civilians or Iraqi insurgents. Mm-hmm, they right. want to know why that. And that's a problem. So that is my, my belief okay. of why they I get did it, it that I way. I get it. So. so you had different rules of engagement than the we, Army. We, basically, the rules of engagement were um, it, it's the same force continuum that the police department has. So you couldn't just shoot at somebody because you assumed he was a bad guy. Right, right. He had to either present himself as a threat raise a weapon to you, or there had to be shots fired for you to engage this person. Mm-hmm. And nobody there, my, myself included, uh, was looking for a gunfight. I wasn't mm-hmm. spoiling for a gunfight. Uh, in fact, the whole time I was there... Not I even one just to get warmed up? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I, want the, I want the green bar. <laughs> actually, actually the, you know, the, the adrenaline and the, uh, and the level, of, level of frustration and anger is, is very real. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you know these people that you're dealing with uh, killed the soldier. Right. And nobody loves the soldier more than me. And if, if there's a way that you can uh, make their life uh, uncomfortable, uh, short of killing them, I'm, I'm all for it. You know, I, thought, I, mean, I, read, I read some things in the book, too, that there were times that you actually knew the guy was a bomb maker. Oh, and th- because of the rules was of the missing whatever, fingers? <laughs> the missing fingers. <laughs> no, he, was, he had been previously ID'd. Mm-hmm. But there was a lot of politics, whether yeah. you could go after the yeah. guy or not. Yeah. Well, you want to touch upon that yeah. a little bit? Yeah, well, um, imagine... If you if you want, um, we're working in a narcotics team, and we've identified uh, a narcotics organization. I'm just using that because everybody has seen that a million times on TV. And there's ten people in the group, mm-hmm. and three of the people in the group are in Souter City. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to Souter City. Uh, mm-hmm. The commander is not going there. Uh, headquarters at at Fourth ID is not going there. Um, the uh, the whole uh, coalition forces is not going there. So. Here you have seven of the ten, and we're not allowed to go execute the, the target of three. Now, it's not because the soldiers don't want to go. The soldiers want to go because their buddy got killed, and they want to find this guy. And how they find him and what happens after the fact, nobody's really going to lose any sleep over right. it. But the problem is, again, you have people that are very risk-adverse, and they don't want to execute this target. And legally, they're not allowed to execute the, the target because the people that are in charge of this back in Washington are saying, hands off, no more Satter City. Now, I don't want to get into a historical lesson of what's going on in Satter City, but the same person that was causing problems there, Mutada al-Sadr, hence the name Satter City, and his father was a radical cleric and caused all these problems between the Sunnis and the Shias, is now being recognized as a political figure in, in the Shiite uh, government in mm-hmm. Iraq. So that problem didn't go away because we didn't close the loop on this and mm-hmm. we didn't kill the head of the snake. That's frustrating. Yeah, obviously. That's very, so. very frustrating. Um, now, when it comes to doing interrogations, we know from uh, police interrogations that sometimes seeing things the way your perp sees them, or at least pretending, obviously pretending to, but when I'm talking about sympathizing, right? Um, that's helpful sometimes. Like you start off with, you know, in the middle of interrogation and say, listen, I understand. Exactly. You know, the guy did you wrong or, you know, she broke your heart. Right, exactly. You know, I had my heart broken too. Now, when you're doing these type of interrogations, not the shock one in the beginning, because that you you already established that information that you got. Right. Well, let's go a step further. Now you're doing the, the, the next interrogation. Right. Right. You know, the one where you know, he's got the back the the, the, <laughs> the rice sack <laughs> over his head. You know what I'm saying? Well, he's I got did, the he's, yeah. you're doing that thing with the uh, with the water no, dripping. You know, I I want to be clear. Anything I did was all verbal, no physical. Mm-hmm. Um, and but are you using those sympathizing tactics? Because yes. then you have yes. to know 
what why they're even in this, what their struggle is, what they believe. And my question is, once you start knowing that side of it, does it ever sound almost like, man, you know, I get it, man. These freaking poor people. Not that they killed soldiers, I'm right, talking right. about. But you understand where the struggle for them is. Anything come up like that in not, you? Not for me. No. Not, I mean... There's I, no empathy here. No. 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 Uh, and, and, and when you're working this person over, using those techniques, mm-hmm. I understand empathy, you know... You're not a bad guy, you know, you're a young kid, they've corrupted your mind, whatever whatever it is. My whole focus at that point, after the positive ID, is to say, where's the next person in your cell? Where can we go? That's where I want to go. Okay. And if I can do that, it's a win. Because I already got one bad guy, and now I'm off to two. So I've gone to as many as four different targets after one operational planning at 9 o'clock in the night and got back at 9 o'clock the next day in the morning and found four people and had joy at all four different targets. Prior to that, again, going back to the Army, and I'm not lying, you know, uh, trying to uh, malign the, uh, the Army, but they weren't going to do that. They just weren't going to do that for many reasons, primarily because they didn't know how to do it, mm-hmm. and it's not mm-hmm. a knock on them. I, like I said, I love the soldier. It has nothing to do with them. But the risk adverse, the, the commander, they just— But you know, Chris, let me just stop you for one second. When I first came on the job— they were averse to doing the same thing. Right. If you got a, a perp and he was under for a gun or a robbery or something, and he said, look, I know where I can get you 10 guns, the police department would say, right. well, they wouldn't do shit. Right. You mm-hmm. te- tell the DA and they go, oh, how do we know he's telling the, you know, and uh, the police department wanted no part of it. Right. Mm-hmm. That's that, that wasn't until after Comstat started, it was like, we're going to get every single search right. warrant, we're going to follow it every, wherever it goes. Exactly. exactly. And, you know? and to your point, what was, what under the legal system here in the States, that makes perfect sense. We get it. You're not just going to break somebody's door down without doing some research, some, some, you know. And, and by the way, you, no judge is going to sign off on that right. for the search warrant without it. And even if you do it without the search warrant, everybody knows there's all kinds of legal hurdles and problems. But we're not in the legal system. We're in a war zone. war zone, yeah. We're here to find bad guys and, 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 and round these people up. And like I said, by the way, they're killing soldiers. Right. These aren't shoplifters at Walmart. These are bad. I mean, people. you could even surprise a what guy happened? like that. Where, where did you know? Where did you learn how to make bombs? And then look exactly. at his face. Look at his face. He's like, oh, how the fuck did he know? Exa- you know? Exactly. Yeah, but you know what I mean. It's nine o'clock the next day after though. You got the four. You want right. what, what? What happens to them? The four, then they they go into a detention facility either on our base or they get shipped out and farmed out to different places mm-hmm. for a secondary interrogation. So now I'm back at at Fob Falcon in Iraq, just south of Baghdad. And I'm typing up each individual interrogation report for each person with a picture and physical evidence that was recovered at the scene or on the person or in this person's bedroom, whatever mm-hmm. the situation is. That information now goes to the, the, the static, static facility interrogators. Sometimes, not often, but sometimes they would call me either because it was somebody I brought in or it was somebody that just wanted somebody else to interrogate rather than the ones that only have eight weeks of training. And they would call me to the facility and say, we want you to talk to this guy, see what you can get out of him. Mm-hmm. We're, we're shaking our head. We, we're not getting anywhere. Mm-hmm. And so I've done both. And there's other aspects in the book where um, we did ruses, where, mm-hmm. you know, they may have thought I was from a different the government agency. The old NYPD ruse. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, um, but, the, you know, Everything that you guys, that we have all done as police officers, as investigators and interrogators, I didn't reinvent the wheel. 
Right. I said before, honestly, I learned from some super smart people that taught me and showed me a better way. I mentioned uh, Tommy and Jimmy Harkins, uh, Tommy Days and Jimmy Harkins. Um, and, you know, when I was a cop and I was young and dumb, if I slapped the cuffs on him and I put the guy in the cell, I was I was happy. Yeah, let I felt else like talk I, to him. Yeah, I was like, let the squad talk to him. Yeah, I'm happy. Right. Take him. You know what I mean? They're like, hey, kid, we're going to, you know, you know, Nitro's coming down. But you down. know something? You were also trained in bomb making. Yeah. And you could use that in the interrogation. Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. You, who taught you how to make bombs? Exactly. You know what I mean? And look, you know how to read body language. Watch the guy's face as you say yeah. that. Yeah. Again, it's got to be saying said in his language. Right. A what worked delay, best? Like, what, right? what, what, what worked best with the, um, with the Middle Eastern, the, um, the Iraqis where you were? Where well, were you in Iraq, right? So, uh, just right? south of Baghdad, I've worked the Rashid area, Dora Market. Like, what, what seemed to work best with that type of people? Because, you know, you could have somebody over here, like, you know, there's, there's a certain, you can get a certain way with Americans, you know, doing an interview and interrogation. And then when people come over here and they're immigrants, sometimes they need a little, you know, because they're used to their police talking to them very right. sternly. Right, right. And this hello and can I get you something, it's not going to work with right. them. They right. don't respect you. So over there, what was, like, what worked over there? Well, usually, What did they have to see before they talked? Usually uh, it was a combination of the capture shock fear and then the evidence manipulation, the knocking on the door from my team mm -hmm. that they found. I found this, and this was in his uh, dresser mm -hmm. drawer by mm -hmm. his bed, in his nightstand. Mm -hmm. So now it's undeniable that you're not just some nice guy and you're wasting my time. Why, you know, I didn't do anything to like, okay, well, you know, that must Did have been left there. Did you guys work on that together, the, the, the oh, army yeah, guys? We had, a whole, we had a whole team. Well, I had my team, the Phoenix team, and the army soldiers, This my friend Sergeant Dave and his team, we train them how to do that. They call it sensitive site exploitation. <clears throat> so now it's a fancy word for, you know, toss the house. That's really what it is. Right, we right. call it house tipping. And we turn this place upside down. And the rule of thumb for the search was you had to look for a SIM card. So, you know, you, if anywhere, they have, anywhere a SIM card could hide. Exactly. <laughs> so if you, got, <laughs> if you got a closet full of funky laundry or you got, you know, a million blankets that you got to go through, you're, you're, that's what you're looking uh -huh. for. And once we train these soldiers how to do that, now they weren't just watching, they're part of the process. So can you imagine, and we all can as police officers, but for your audience, coming into the precinct with a heavy gun collar. You, there was a car chase, the guy ran, you caught him, you got the gun, um, maybe he robbed somebody in the process, you know, you, everything fell together, okay? In this process, everything is not only falling together, but now they're on the base and they look like the superstars of Iraq because right. we don't take credit for the work. That's the one thing I want to be clear about, too. We put this all together, and we supported 122TST, and they're walking around like, hey, I'm in the chow hall, you know? We got, yeah. we got the guy from the, the deck of cards, and they're very popular. Where the do base. you guys stay? We're on the same bases then. Oh, with the oh yeah, so we eat with them. We, you know, we, mm -hmm. we, we, uh, you know, we... we uh, we share drinks with them. We uh, barbecue together. I mean, mm -hmm. we're we're as close to being brothers, without being bi biologically brothers. I mean, I keep in touch with these people to this day. Many I remember Tommy Kennedy, one of our past guests, was talking about uh, red zone and green zones and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So you're in the shit, like you're oh, in the yeah. red zone. Yeah, the green zone is. So you're uh, not you know you don't separate from them at the end of the day and meet them no. in the morning. Go back to your hotel no. at night. We're eating with them. We're working out in the gym with them. Um, we're. They're in our workspace with us watching TV because we had a satellite TV so we could catch some sports games and things like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're inseparable. Mm -hmm. we're, in fact, uh, my, my friend Sergeant Dave, who just recently retired, 
this past February, I went to his retirement party. The number two guy on my team, um, which is this guy, Adoni Paletica, he's in the book quite a bit. Um, he lives in Texas. They both live in Texas. So we both went to his retirement party in Texas. Uh, so we stay in touch. It's, Does uh, he it's know a- that you used to be a ranger and work with Chuck Norris? <laughs> <laughs> you ever talked about those, those the good old days? Yeah. How difficult was it um, because of the, the language and the fact that you needed an interpreter to establish a rapport with a suspect? You know... Um, I would say it's just like if you don't speak Spanish and you're here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think my, my biggest advantage uh, was also my age. Mm-hmm. Um, because most of the people I'm dealing with are younger than me. So there's that natural, in the Arab culture, this person's older than me, he's an elder, and they have that even if they don't want to admit that. And they the respect guy, you because of your age? Yeah, I think so, some of that. But the other part was I was working with a guy who was a really good interpreter, Muad, and he was Syrian, uh, and he was very good. But then I started working with an older gentleman named uh, uh, Sharif, and he was Egyptian, and he was older than me. Mm-hmm. So now you got a guy that not only – you're not getting over on him because he's in his 40s like me. I'm actually mm-hmm. 48 at the time. Uh, you're not getting over on him culturally, okay? And he's not trying to run the interrogation. Sometimes you get an interpreter, and they want to. They think that they're the interrogator. Right, right, that's no good. And it's a problem. Yeah, that's a problem. It's yeah. a real problem. But then the, the interpreter has to look to you to get the next question. Well, we, I mean, we were in synchronicity. Like again, when you work, it's like anything else. You know, your radio cars, good right, mm-hmm. good left. You know what I mean? You know, you don't mm-hmm. need to ask that question anymore. Right. It's a blind faith. So I have an interpreter that is not only mirroring my language word for word, fluent in 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 translation. But the level of intensity and seriousness, you know, if I got angry, he got angry. If I, if I leaned back and talked in the softer tone, so did he. You know, just the things that we do as right, an interrogator. Right, sure. but did you learn any words? I'm sure I, you know I, some I words. Learned a f- I learned a few words. Like subplot. When you're working in, in the task force, Queens Task Force, you're looking for drunk drivers on Roosevelt Avenue. You know, and it's 2 o'clock, you got a half an hour, right? Yeah. You didn't have a lot of time. You grabbed them out of the car, you stuff, <laughs> you stuff the, the breathalyzer right in the mouth. Sopla! Sopla! <laughs> that means blow. I learned how to say sopla. <laughs> All right, he's good to go. Throw him in the van. Right, Are you looking? Let's get another one. He's a keeper. Did you learn uh, words and stuff? I learned, I learned some words, but most of them are, were, were like curse words or uh-huh. liar and, um, you know. Maricon! Yeah, you know, along. What's liar? Along. And, and, uh, uh, Kazeb. Kazeb, huh? Kazeb, yeah. You, Kazeb! You fucking Kazeb. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know... All the, the word other. fuck sounds so powerful, though, right? You fucking Kazeb! Mm. Oh, they, they would have to respect But that, you mentioned right? there's no hands on these people, right? You're not, no. There's no whacking, right? No. Well, you know, while we have you here, though, what do you think about enhanced interrogation? Uh, I think it's unnecessary, and I think it's a black eye. I think... Uh, when you talk about enhanced, you're talking about waterboarding, waterboarding yeah, yeah, all the torture stuff. stuff, right? Yeah, all the stuff, because there's there's different schools of thought on whether you're getting relevant human intelligence or you're not. Is the guy saying it just to, so you stop yeah, doing there's, it? Yeah, there's but there's ways to vet the information. Yeah. Like I, I had a big argument. I, I, I think there should be enhanced interrogation. I don't so believe that other school. I'll tell I you why. Because I if you caught me, I'm get, I'm letting you know whatever. I'll I tell you right off the bat, fellas, no need to get angry. <laughs> just tell me what you want. Yeah, but when, I'm going to lay it out for you. Our adversaries There's are cutting no people's heads Whether off. Whether you torture me you know? or not, you're still getting. I'm going to give you the truth up front. <laughs> oh. I don't think you can get real answers. If somebody's going to hold the answers, they're going to take the torture. No, yeah. I always felt that because what with our adversary is beyond inhuman, cutting right. heads off of people, oh, yeah. putting yeah. people in cages and drowning them. Yeah. I'm like, then you have to take unusual means. Right, and right. the head of the CIA, there was a guy named I think his name was Gonzalez. Yes. 
And he said, it absolutely fucking works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All I, these people saying it doesn't work are full of shit. Yeah. And he's right. I, it works. It, I'm, not saying it doesn't, I'm not saying it doesn't work, but I, I'm saying that it can create a false positive. And at the end of the day, the blowback from all of that really affected yeah, I everybody. Know, well, John McCain was big time against you know, it. I, I, you know. I, look at it, I look at it like I, I could be the eight-week trained-up Army soldier and do mm-hmm. that. You, uh, Mark, myself, that's not what we're trained to do. Right. You know what I mean? If somebody else wants to do that, don't. I don't want you to think I'm some liberal. Right, right, right. If somebody else wants to do that after my interrogation, then knock yourself out. But I'm not involved in that, and I don't want to be if part of it. If you have the next group that's about to fly a plane into the World Trade Center, and you have information, and the only way to get it is to use an enhanced interrogation, what do you do? Game on. Yeah, I, Game I think so too. I think I think knowing that it's out there helps, because you know you could be you, you had no plan on doing that type no. of inf- interrogation, but the guy's not giving you what you want. You know the answers. You just want him to tell you, right? And all of a sudden, your partner comes back. You know the interpreter, but now he's not interpreting. He's going to go and he's going to turn the water on. He's going to get the board out. You know, it's just a. They're like, oh shit, it's a psychological. Okay, thing. Oh, yeah, all right. Yeah. Because ha- knowing that that it could happen. Oh yeah. But because the if argument, they know that you're never going to do anything like that, right? Right. You know, like, like you're saying, how do you know they're not giving you good information? Because you vet the information, right? And right. you do that in any investigation, right? No, mm-hmm. what you just told us, you're full of shit, right? right. And stop fucking lying, you know? Exactly. And then like, okay, okay, you know. Yep. But we do that in homicide investigation right. too. Right. You just blew smoke up our ass for an hour, right? You know. <laughs> no, I mean. You know, but that's why when you interrogate somebody, you know certain truths before you go in the yeah, box. Yeah, yeah, well, that, that's true. There's certain things you know, and there's certain things you don't know. Right, right. And so, again, when you walk into uh, an interrogation room, you don't say, oh, yeah. you don't yeah. say, uh, if, if, if you don't tell me the truth, I'm going to, like some people we know, I'm going to, or you lie to me, I'm going to put you in jail for five years. Right. That's really not effective in a room. Right, no, it's, it's not. It's not helpful. Okay. So what you want to do is is have a certain set of facts and build on that. So you don't say, at 10 o'clock on Friday night, did you rob the uh, A&P grocery store? You say, tell me about your day on Friday. Right, right, right. You know, I mean, yeah. you, and I mean I'm, you guys all know this, but people that don't have that level of training or that level mm-hmm. of experience... Where were you Friday night oh, at 8 o'clock? Kazid, right? Kazeb. you punk. Kazeb, tell me Kazeb! No, but that, you know, that's why, like, you know, TV. We all know interrogations can take five hours, six hours, oh eight hours, gosh. ten hours. On TV, they get it in ten minutes. Of and you know, people mm-hmm. think, oh, that was easy. You yeah, know? exactly. Another thing <laughs> that we do, and, and, and you guys have done it, um, we use one person against the other. The other guy gave me statements, you yeah. didn't give me statements, mm-hmm. or... One of my one of the ones that we sometimes use was I don't want to take your mom. I, don't make me arrest oh, your mom. Do that all the time. Mm-hmm. And no, you got kicked out of the project. No. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you know, so it, things like that. Uh, we we used I used uh, not not that often, but often enough, and it, it has a very uh, you know who talks first gets the best deal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Did you ever use the line in Arabic? Uh, the, the train. This uh, I never understood the. The, the train is leaving the station. What do, you want to, do you want to be on the platform or do you want to be on a train? That would be like, people would say that during an interrogation. I never understood that. Yeah, yeah. What happens if I go on a train? Am I going to jail? If I stay on the platform, what happens to me? I used to say when I was in the street narcotics uh, uh-huh. team in, seven, in the 7-6, I'd say, you know, the guy would start flapping. I go, listen, buddy, 
I'm robbing the train today. Uh-huh. So it's funny that you mentioned that about <laughs> the train, but I'm I'm robbing the train today. Today you're just a passenger. Yeah, yeah. I so. have no idea what that means either. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but with the uh, also with the interrogation, some guys are so so patient. I mean, I, uh, Detective Pat. He could talk to this brick wall for six hours. Uh-huh. Uh, unbelievable. And he would... You give him enough PBA? Yeah, give PBRs. him enough Pabst Blue Ribbon beers. He'll, be, he'll go for two days. But right. he had so much patience, and he would just read it. No, he's coming around. He's coming around. It might take six or eight hours, uh-huh. but he got it. He so was you got really, to stay, you gotta stay yeah, yeah. in. He's a special... He's Joe a, the Lip. Joe the Lip in Homicide. He was like that, too. We have a... a he's a special person, though. You know, he has that gift of gab. Yeah. So who did you? Who's the biggest thing that you got over there? Did you get a, anything you want to brag about? Uh, well, th- I mean the team. That Osama bin who? No, uh, <laughs> I mean. Uh, did you ever get his third cousin or something like that? <laughs> How hot were his wives? Four thousand wives. <laughs> were there, were, was there any hot ones? Have you ever seen it, like Osama's wives that are pretty yeah, hot? Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go that far to say that they were hot. Um, any good belly dancers over one, there? Even if it's by accident. Well, I mean. What do you want me to tell you about the targets, or do you want me to tell you about the woman? The women. Oh, the women. All right. Well, we ha- we ha- uh, it's in the book. We had we had an operation, and uh, to make a long story short, this woman was very friendly with the insurgent people, and she ran a safe house. Um, not uncommon to what goes on here. So she was a member, a gang member, basically. She but was she's an Iraqi hoe. They called exactly, uh-huh. and um, they, we had identified her through other targets that we had rounded up. So now the mission comes out. They had planned it for three days. And they brief me on it, and uh, they go, Chris, we want you to go out there and essentially scare it out of her to give up her friends. And I'm like, well, I, my intention is to get the information from her, whether I scare it out of her or not, but uh, we're taking her with us, right? And they're mm-hmm. like, no, we're not taking her with us. And I'm like, what do you mean we're not taking her I go, uh, they That's go, part of the shock, right? Yeah, the, <laughs> the, the commanding officer, again, this is the Army. Again, I want to be clear. I love the Army and the soldiers. The people they got to work for are the biggest jerks I've ever seen at some point in time. They're politicians, Not all of them. right? They're, they, because they're career-oriented. Career yeah, yeah. And if they, if they get a, hu- a human terrain report that comes back that says, my toilets don't flush, I have no electricity, and, and the soldier was mean to me, that colonel's not getting promoted to general. Right. That's the end of the story. It's just like a precinct commander. Like the NYPD. You know, maybe you, need, <laughs> maybe you need to move to a different, maybe the precinct is not for you. This right. is kind of like the colonel in, in who's, by the way, after 20-some-odd years, has somehow managed to never set foot in a war zone. Right. And now it's his first rodeo. And he's going to tell right. you how to do it, and he's never done it before himself. Right. So getting back to this woman, I argue with the number one guy, whose name I'm not even going to mention, and he's like, oh, so what you're saying is you don't support the mission? And I was, like, ready to kill this guy. Yeah. This was, in a sense, my boss. And we were yelling and screaming. He goes, okay, fine. You're off the mission. I go, okay. I storm out of it. I'm beside myself. So they send me out. They send out another guy. They don't take the woman off the target. They leave her out there. And then, based on the information they got, she goes active. We decide to go back there. She's gone. This mission, this, this mission I'm on, and we search the house, and lo and behold, in the corner of the house is a TV set that's not plugged in, and no cable wires running to it, and because they didn't search it, we pull away the uh, TV set. My, my friend, actually, Mike Dominique, pulled away the TV set, and in the floor is a hole about this big. There's a picture of it in the book of what was there, who's to say at this particular point. Right, right. All because they are concerned that we might offend this woman. This woman is part of a cell. I don't care if you pulled the trigger, drove the getaway car. It's right. like she's bad and she needs to come. 
Prior to that, we had taken many women off the battlefield. Mm -hmm. So why it was that we weren't taking this person, I don't know. I don't know if the CIA was involved in it, if the FBI was. I, I don't know who was involved in it, but they said hands off on this particular. The FBI had to go well, home. and it was a Friday. <laughs> and that, and it, probably was a, it probably was a Friday, and they were home. Christopher Strom. Uh, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. In. Thank you very much, Mark. Um, I appreciate it very much. I don't know his if book, this is what you expected. His book but is <laughs> called uh, Brooklyn to Baghdad. It's a great read. You can ask Bill about that. I, I just it. got my hands on the book uh, a month ago, so I'm like three pages in. But, you know, I, I, I read at a snail's pace. Uh, but I got everything so far, and you're a phenomenal storyteller. And like I said, we only scratched the surface here. Uh, I'm hoping that maybe you'll come back again one day. Any other books you plan on writing? I, not at not at this not at this point. I just if I if I can say the book is dedicated to my friend Matt Pacino, uh, in memory of Matt Pacino. Matt was killed. That was killed. He right? was yeah, killed. Yeah. Uh, so I just want to make sure that it's clear that people are aware of that. And uh, and my publisher, Chicago Review Press, did, did mm -hmm. a phenomenal job, uh, and they took me on as a client. My my agent Doug Grad and then Jerome Priesler and Michael Benson, all these people. Like all the people in the NYPD made me look like a superstar. Without their help, I would have never gotten here. So I just wanted to go right, that. Uh, that is, uh, where can they find the book? That's important. It's, uh, uh, it's online at Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble. It's in local stores. Um, if you Google Brooklyn the Baghdad, a lot of, lot of information pops up. Um, it's 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 accessible. It's it's, it's full it's, of pictures too, which is great. Well, yeah, it's not a, not if Iraqi hot, hot well, that, women, but that shows you that I'm a cop. I had to right. include a lot, splice in right. a lot of pictures there, you know. So, so before we go, before we part, I want to uh, give a shout out to uh, the Instagram page ninety Y Everything. Do you ever get that? No. They um, they befriended us on Instagram. They told us what uh, big fans we are. They have a lot of followers too. They basically put up a lot of memes and stuff like that related to um, uh, law enforcement, and they're all funny. It's a 90 Y everything. Check that out on Instagram. And also, I've been meeting a, a couple of people from uh, Blue Lives Matter. I wanted to give them a shout he out. He was here today, Joseph Imperatrice. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. It's, what a coincidence yeah, that I don't have his card. No, this guy is by, uh, Brian Rosano. Sounds like his old uh, Italian guy. All these Italians know each other. <laughs> Blue Lives Matter. <laughs> <laughs> They're all from Staten Island. They all uh, know each other. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know? I met one from Staten Island. I was doing a show out there. That means he's got at least 19 bucks because he needs that to get um, home, you know? Blue Lives Matter, <laughs> what they do is they help out um, the, the families of uh, fallen officers. And... Uh, if you're interested in helping out there, go to the website. I'm sure it's bluelivesmatters.com. Let me just make sure. Blue Lives Matter New York City. Oh. There's a dupe one that's getting them in trouble. Okay, okay. so it's bluelivesmatternyc.org, and they have a lot of resources there for uh, families in need, the families who have lost their, uh, their support if they were law enforcement. And... Uh, Wow, that's pretty much it, man. We covered a lot of ground today. Are yeah, you I just want to thank you very I much. I just want to say one thing. Uh, Chris contacted us actually a couple of months ago, and you know, basically, I didn't know who the fuck he was, and he asked if he could be on the show. And we always have to vet our guests because all you guys out there think you're superstars. Not all of you are. We pick the superstars that come on this show. There's only right? room on this show for one loser, <laughs> <laughs> and that's me. That's, but anyway, this seat is taken. <laughs> anyway, it was so great to meet Chris, and he has a great story as we Thank just uh, went Thank over you. most of it here. We didn't even cover yeah, I, I, much of it, but it's a great so story. And uh, it was a real pleasure to meet you. Yeah, hopefully we could have you, you back. Yeah, please. Yeah. Call me anytime. Semper Fi. Semper Fi. <laughs> that was good. He scared me again. <laughs> All right. Peace out.